This is Our People and Mother Earth on KWSO. Caroline Cruz is the Health and Human Services General Manager for the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs. This branch of the tribal government is responsible for programs that support people's health and basic needs and enhance the health and welfare of Warm Springs community members. The issue of homelessness on the Warm Springs Reservation, Caroline says, landed in Health and Human Services primarily because of the direction and understanding of what exactly being homeless has become. It, it sort of landed in the Health and Human Services uh, primarily because of the redirection in terms of the thinking, in terms of what homeless is. And it's not just what we see here in Warren Springs. People think uh, the uh, road warriors is our homeless, and it is. But it's a, it's a small segment, believe it or not, you know, of the population in terms who we classify as homeless. Uh, for example, uh, people who uh, are in multi-dwelling uh, homes. They're not the head of the household. If they're not the head of the household and they're living within a household, they're considered to be uh, homeless. So not only them, but if they bring children you know, on board, I mean, they're homeless. Uh, we have a lot of people living in vehicles, living in cars, uh, uh, living in trailers that's not connected to electricity. Uh, and so they're, or they don't have running water. They're considered to be homeless. You know, I guess different people have different perceptions of, of what that is. Uh, usually, I think in the past, prior to COVID, because COVID created a lot of uh, fear. I mean, no one wanted to, to get COVID. There was a lot of information and misinformation going around. And because it was so new, the researchers didn't even know the consequences or they didn't even know how long we had to be in quarantine. And so I think there was a fear factor. There's always been homeless, but during like the winter months, people in the community would take in, you know, relatives or friends who are classified as homeless, but they would take them in. I mean, we're not living within a cruel community here. We tend to open up our doors. We don't want them to live with us all year round, but we will open up their doors, you know, during like really when the the temperature exceeds like 105, 110, folks will take folks, you know, in. What happened during COVID with the fear factor is the fact that we, you know, we had a homeless shelter uh, operating at the old school youth center, you know, site. We devoted a couple of rooms there uh, for homeless primarily during the winter. And we would open up the Family Resource Center uh, as a drop-in center when the heat uh, got very uh, high. What happened with COVID is the fact that because it's a six-feet rule, we had to then take over the old school gym. And once we start setting six feet away, uh, we started out with our average amount was always about 10 to 15. You know, that's what it was over the, over the years. During COVID, we went up to the 40s. Uh, folks were dropping off people because they found out there was a place. And so families decided, well, I don't need to take them in because I could drop them off. They're going to feed them. There's going to be showers. Um, and I'll go visit them. I mean, it was really a strange uh, setup. We start having, during the weekend, folks would come and actually check on their relatives, friends. They would pick them up. They would take them into town. They would get them food. They would take them to their house to, you know, get showers. They'll get them new clothes, um, snacks. And it just, it developed on its own 
And we didn't know how long it was going to go, so we didn't really have very strict rules in terms of how you could get in there. I mean, we had folks from Ben putting, you know, Native American people, you know, getting them a one-way transportation in a shuttle or, or whatever and just dropping them off. Uh, we would get calls from Portland saying, well, we have this Native American person, and they said they're, they're from Warren Springs. Put them on the bus, drop them off, and... So it went into in the 40s. And so this is when we began to realize, oh, my goodness, you know, this is not our normal population group that we had previous years. I mean, the numbers just quadruple. Yeah. And so it just it just morphed into that. Um, so this is when, you know, there was money available uh, for us to start looking at, at a more permanent uh, place, which some people agree with and a lot of people don't agree with. I think the difference in the larger cities, the community, there's so much community reaction that we don't want a homeless shelter in our neighborhood. And you see that in the media all the time. We selected a site, though, where there was really no neighbors. I mean, our shelter is over there um, across from the old elementary uh, school library. It's um, before Teacher Lane, you know, where the teachers uh, live. And so we chose that site, saying that we know we have, an, uh, we don't know how long COVID's going to go. Uh, there was money from COVID uh, in order to deal with the homeless population, so took the opportunity to put the shelter there. Uh, not only the shelter, but we also were able to buy seven uh, previous FEMA trailers, and because of COVID and people wanting to stay in this community and when they need to be quarantined, we open up what we call Park Place, which, which is really the seven uh, FEMA trailers that we set up in the old uh, dips and, and, you know, over there next to the trailer court, but it's called the dips. So we developed uh, that uh, land there to put the seven trailers, and those six trailers were used, you know, nonstop uh, during COVID. However, when COVID began, you know, when the protocols, the more research was done on COVID, there wasn't a need to really quarantine for 10 days. There wasn't a need to even quarantine for five days. I mean, the, the pandemic technically, I'm not saying COVID is gone. It, it just that the seriousness in terms of what was happening, where it was actually targeting vulnerable populations and we lost 36 people in this community, that there's no need uh, for us to put people in quarantine. So now it's a transitional home, but it's turned into a homeless place again because of the fact the current shelter only was designed for individuals and short-term. And to a transitional home, we could keep people, we're supposed to average probably uh, 45 to 90 days, and for them to give them enough time to be able to move on and hopefully get their own uh, homes. So the shelter itself, we have 10 uh, what we call little huts that has the capacity to hold two people uh, per unit. Recently bought three more units in, in order that these will be individual units, though, uh, because there was a good price. Portland obviously bought these little shelters, and then they decided they didn't want them. And so the um, vendor 
uh, offer us a really good deal that we couldn't pass up. So now we have three additional huts that still, the inside needs to be completed, but it's going to give us the ability uh, to probably house some of our, I think, homeless uh, clients who really shouldn't be housed with anyone else but them, but themselves. So we're also going to, you know, we've learned a lot. Um, we could provide housing, but this past winter we had temperatures that uh, was like three degrees, you know, for a week. You know, we didn't have, like, it was under ten degrees, and though the huts helped them individually, no one wants to stay within a hut the whole time. And they would have to come out to eat because we don't really want food in the units because it's going to attract, you know, unwanted, uh, not only uh, insects, but rodents, snakes, or whatever. So now I have planned to open up a drop-in center at the uh, shelter and the other thing, too, you know, we're talking about that population. There's rules, and we have to have rules at, at, the, sh- at the shelter. No drug use, no bringing alcohol, uh, no bringing weapons. And, of course, that's all been violated. And so I don't want people to think, oh, you have this place and everything is perfect because it's, it's not. Uh, we have to provide 24-7 hour staffing. And so uh, we don't have a lot of people who say, hey, my job career is to work at the homeless shelter. And so we we have trouble with, you know, retention. Uh, We have, it's also kind of a drop-in center. We have a little gazebo there so folks could kind of congregate there. Uh, But it's not large enough. We have five showers, uh, private bathrooms with showers. And then we have two washer and dryers. And those washer and dryers are used constantly. The drop-ins in terms of uh, folks who are not housed at the homeless shelter, uh, they come in on a daily basis to eat, to shower, to wash their clothes. Uh, And a lot of these folks don't really want to have anything to do with others. They just want to come in knowing there's a safe place to eat, you know, take a shower, and then leave. So we average probably an average of probably 10 to 14 residents who are there on a consistent basis. And we have probably between 10 to 15 other homeless who just drop by to use the facilities. Uh, At the uh, transitional home, like I said, it's supposed to be for those in recovery, but it's turned into more of a homeless, is really for folks who have you know, like children, and creating a safe place for them to be. And so right now we have the ability for six. I think the units is two of them or two bedrooms, and the other are single units. And we are not at capacity. I think right now we have the ability to house six families, and I think it's at 50% right now. I believe there's only three uh, there. So... I think the other thing, too, is the fact that we offer them services, though. We can't force them to take services, but we do know that the majority of those who do uh, come there, they have substance use disorders, and they have mental health issues. No one wants them in their household if they're going to have a mental health episode. And, I mean, it's a scary thing 
uh, in terms of some folks who should be on meds and or they don't take their meds and you don't want them in the household you know when when they're having an episode and so those are the type of uh, folks we we've been um, having but there's a a combination of how we're paying for this too so we use COVID dollars to set up the facility but the reason why a lot of facilities don't do well is because they don't have the capacity in terms of funds to keep uh, the to pay for the employees, uh, the operation expense. I mean, it costs money to buy food. It, you have to have a place to cook the food. Uh, you have to make sure that it it meets um, uh, standards. You have to offer balanced, you know, meals. Uh, you have to make sure that they have access to medical, in in case. Um, you know, there, there's an episode there. Um, you need to work with these folks, and hopefully them. their goal is not to be homeless. Their goal is to become independent. So because of that, we're connected with the Warren Springs Housing. And at the dips, on the um, one side is for the homeless, and on the other side is supposed to be for homeless who want to become independent. So when we opened up the shelter, it was called from uh, homeless to independent living. Unfortunately, 10 cottages were supposed to be built, and they still haven't gone up for a variety of reasons, which is a whole different uh, story. But the intent is not to keep our people homeless, but to get them into services and for them to be able to become independent. And so we have um, a lot of folks don't understand Measure 110, but Measure 110 that was passed in 2020, it was with the intent and in terms of uh, decriminalized drugs, which we don't do here on the reservation because we're underneath federal. But we are getting the dollars that's funded by marijuana you know, tax and so the more people who smoke marijuana, the more tax. Uh, and then it's directed to the 36 counties and the uh, nine tribes. And uh, the intent is to, to help people um, get back on their feet. It's to help with targeting the population in order to help them with housing, help them with jobs uh, if they need they get a job and they need some uh, equipment uh, or, or whatever. They need, you know, maybe some work boots, uh, work clothes. We have dollars to help uh, that. If someone really want want to become independent and they need help with the down payment, uh, they need deposit, uh, they need help with buying some furniture, we have funds for that. If we have uh, the population who... Um, who we consider to be living within households, but there's multiple people living in the house, so of course, electricity bill goes up. Um, different uh, type of expenses goes up. Uh, a lot of people have not been able to pay their rent, to pay their mortgage payment. So we have another program that uh, helps uh, folks with homeowners because homeowners, I think there's a misunderstanding because someone has a home doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have multiple people living within the household. 
that's creating a lot of wear and tear, you know, within the house. So we have another grant that helps with homeowners for past mortgages. And there is some money there for rent assistance, but the primary target is homeowners. A lot of our homeowners have inherited their house. They didn't, they didn't come into here being a homeowner. They didn't have to do what some of us who have built homes, where we have to get you know the well if you're not within the um, area here that, that gets uh, agency uh, water. I mean, you have to you know come up with the down payment and on and on, which prevents a lot of people become to become homeowners. So a lot of our recent homeowners is because they inherited the house. They don't know how to be homeowners. And a lot of the older homes that they inherit need major repairs. They need roofs. They need new windows. They need um, flooring. Uh, bathrooms are very uh, outdated. And so we have this other grant that we're trying to prevent homeless. And, and so where there's a lot of money out there to build homes, we don't have the water infrastructure right now for us to build homes. And so we didn't want to pass the opportunity in taking these funds. So as a result, uh, we're helping homeowners. And um, so we're paying uh, for, um, I think since we started the program, we've already helped 164 individuals. I'm not sure exactly how many households because they count the number of people within the household. But what I do know is the fact that we've been helping with um, uh, maintenance and minor repair. Now, I wish we had a lot of money because people need their house remodeled. All we could do is minor repairs. And so what we're doing is helping people uh, primarily with a lot of uh, flooring. Uh, specifically, it's interesting because the kitchen is the main point, I think, of gathering cooking and whatever. So we've been helping people, you know, because of water leaks or water breaks or whatever. It, it's actually damaged a lot of the kitchen uh, area. Uh, the other major, I think, thing that we've been seeing is the bathrooms. They're, they don't have running water. Uh, we had this one household where I don't know where, where the family were going to take uh, showers because their bathroom was completely not operable. Uh, not only that, the, the, it was so bad that you could see the bottom of, of beyond the flooring, you know, down underneath the house. And so those are the type of things that we've been uh, helping. We have a lot of windows. Uh, I'm holding off on roofing because I'm going to be getting some additional dollars instead of patching a roof, which is going to cost money. I'm hoping to repair total roofs, but I have to wait for just additional uh, uh, dollars. Uh, the other major area is just utility assistance. So we, we're helping um, with past mortgages. We could go up to three months because that's what the grant um, dictates. But but we do know that we've already spent uh, more than $200,000 within this community, and we still are going down the list supposed to target 80 families, but we're targeting, but we've got more than 300 applications. So I know a lot of folks who might be listening to this is saying, well, where am I on that list? 
The complications we had is the fact that we can't get contractors out here. We can't get electricians. We can't get plumbers. We can't get carpenters. And so it took us some time uh, in order to get those folks on board. And a lot of folks don't understand our finance procurement process. If it goes over a certain amount, we have to go out for bid. And, and that all takes time. So we're trying to get as much repairs done, especially during uh, the summer, uh, in order to help uh, people get back on uh, their feet. So again, it's a variety of dollars that we have to access, and we try to choose which category our folks uh, fit. So we have LIHEAP, which a lot of people know as energy assistant, and if we if our folks qualify for that, we we put them we take funds from there. If they don't qualify, I don't want these dollars to be according to income, because there's a lot of I think folks who criticize people who work, saying, well, if both parents or both people in the household or and kids are working, they don't need help, and and that that is just not a way of thinking. Um, no one makes enough money here on the reservation to be able to do the major repairs that's required, especially if you inherited a house that already had major a need for repair. And uh, it doesn't make any difference what level of income. It, it's expensive to remodel a house. And so, so far, I think the people we've helped have been very thankful because we we tried to just we only could go up to five thousand because that's how the grant um, was written, and I wanted to make sure we helped as many households. So my target was eighty, and we have three hundred applications, and and so I'm I'm getting other dollars from other sources so we could maximize this, um, in order uh, to deal with this. Uh, the other thing is the fact that. There's a difference, like I said, of our homeless. Uh, we do have, like, maybe the road warriors. The majority of these folks really don't want to be in a facility that has rules. And so a lot of folks choose not to go to our shelter because they don't want to follow rules. Um, and we have to have rules. So if, they're, if they bring drugs into the facility, if they're using drugs, uh, if they're... Um, you know, alcohol is the number one drug that, that we have issues with. They can't bring weapons. When folks come into our facility and they bring all their possessions, we all know that an, a lot of our homeless are hoarders. Uh, they don't want no one to touch their possessions. So when we put two people in the same hut, they become very protective over their their possessions. So then it brings in domestic you know, violence, and we can't have that. And as a result, we have had to suspend folks, and we've suspended folks multiple times, depending on the offense, but there comes a time where, you know, suspension is not working, and so we have to ban them uh, from the homeless uh, shelter. Um, we, we try to work with people where they're at, we, we've employed a lot of people because we connected them with um, uh, services. Uh, we had help 
people, you know, get off their feet and get out of the definition of of uh, homeless. So I, I guess I guess what I want folks to understand that that when you say homeless, that is not what we see out. You know, people walking down the road, uh, picking up maybe cans or or whatever. Homeless is very complex. Uh, the definition of homeless is very broad. I think maybe if we look over the years, we probably many of us fit the definition of, of homeless. When, when you start looking at the definition, um, I don't think you're going to find very many people. You know, our young people who who graduate from high school and they technically become adults and they're still living within a household, they're considered to be homeless because they should be on their own. We, we don't have housing here. So we have a lot of, you know, I think, folks that we need to assist. And as far as I'm concerned, if I could get the grants, I could get the money, then we're going to help as many people as we can. What they do is they come to the Family Resource Center, and if folks don't know where that's at, it's 1144 Orange Springs uh, Street. So they they start out with like a little intake form so we could decide in terms of what type of services that it's going to be directed. Uh, Jackie Minson right now is kind of taking uh, that lead. I have multiple people working behind the scenes in order to um, get that application and see where it belongs. The big grant that I'm talking about for the homeowner's repair, we have to actually um, not take any more applications because of the fact that the target was 80 and we have 300. However, you know, a lot of folks didn't know about that or they're just now finding out. If there's, like, emergencies, uh, we have dollars to help with emergencies, but we have to decide case by case in terms of if there's funds that we have to help, then then we will. And so I don't want to discourage people from, from coming in saying, well, we heard that there's no more funds. There's no more funds to help with past mortgages um, and some uh, minor repairs. But we still have funds that people need, uh, like assistance to rent a house, um, assist, assistance with the deposit, um, you know, we do have emergency uh, dollars, and we have helped a lot of people with medical uh, needs or if their loved ones have to go to specialty care and um, they, they need transportation, they need money and whatever. We, we still have dollars uh, f- for those type, but the, the key part is to come in, and you don't, folks don't know what we could offer if they don't at least, you know, come in. And if they come in, then we try to help. I, I don't think I've turned anyone away um, so far. And if they are being turned away, then I need to know that. But but uh, I think we've been able to, you know, I mean, COVID, COVID was a really bad experience, but COVID also put, I think, on the map in terms of the amount of social needs that are out there. And I think our past uh, governor, Brown and, and uh, Governor uh, Kotek, you know, here in Oregon, are very serious about the behavioral health issues, very serious about the homeless pop- uh, population, very serious about uh, substance use disorder and mental health disorders. And, and I mean, that's their platform. 
And um, so there is going to be, I think, uh, dollars. Right now, they're grant dollars, but we're hoping that it's going to turn into what we call base dollars, where we don't have to go out there and apply, where they will give us a certain amount of money uh, every um, biennium when, when the legislatures approve their budgets, and that we will then be getting uh, money uh, until they say no more. And so we're working very close, you know, with uh, our Oregon Health Authority, the Oregon Department of Human Services, and we've worked very hard in order to establish carve-out dollars for the nine federally recognized tribes in our urban uh, area, which is uh, NARA. We've been very successful, you know, working with our um, our tribal directors, Julie Johnson, you know, with the Oregon Health Authority, Adam Vicente, you know, with the Oregon Department of Human Services, and there's multiple, multiple, you know, other folks, you know, Fair Voice with Oregon Department of Human uh, Resources. Um, I mean, they're all, they, we've been working with them for years, and so anytime there's new dollars, you know, we, we fight and they carve it out, you know, for us. So we do have resources coming in, you know, to uh, especially, you know, our tribe and all the other tribes. Everything that we do is based on what we call these 15 uh, strategies. Uh, also, when folks access dollars, there has to be a connection with the, what's putting the people at risk. What are those protective factors? What are those strategies that we could work on in order to um, get people to a better uh, place? And so the Joint Health Commission, of course, uh, we keep them uh, informed in terms of what's, what's happening here. But when you go back to the homeless population, I think what we try to do is give them opportunity in order for them to succeed. You know, we cannot force people to take the services, but we could give them the opportunity. And so we have a program that's come out of Measure 110 that's called RIGHT, R-I-T-E, is rebuilding individuals through employment. So if they really want to work and they really want to rebuild their life, we have that that fits in with those strategies in terms of them being independent and being a contributor to this community. I think a lot of folks, if we gave them a job, we gave them maybe an opportunity to get their own home, I think we all want that. And I think when people feel like the door's been shut on them over and over uh, and that they go towards substance use, I mean, there, there is a time where, where, unfortunately, folks have to hit bottom in order for them to realize that there's no magic program out there for substance use disorder. It has to be done by the individual. The individual has to take that opportunity in, in, in order uh, for them, I guess, for the road for their own uh, wellness. Addiction is the worst, the worst disease you know, out there uh, because if you've been diagnosed as being an addict, you could never, ever touch that drug again. You cannot touch alcohol. You take one little drop of alcohol and you're back into that addiction, you know, cycle. And a lot of folks think, oh, well, I haven't drank for a month, and so I could just maybe drink one can of beer, and before you know it, that one can leads to a six-pack, 
and then a six-pack leads to another six-pack. And then before you know it, they're on that cycle, and uh, they, they can't come out of it. And so they, they then come back and try to give us excuses as to what happened. Uh, you know, when you see the pattern of people not coming, you know, they get paid a t- today, Friday, and guess what? They're not going to show up to work on Monday. And you see this cycle, you know, we, we know, unfortunately, that they had a relapse. Uh, so, so there's programs out there. I mean, the intent with the Joint Health Commission is wellness, but wellness, unfortunately, is still a choice. If you're diabetic, it's a disease. You know what the rules are. If you're diabetic, you know, there's certain things you can't eat. Uh, you know, you got to exercise. You know, you got to, you know, do all the stuff that comes with diabetes. It's the same thing for heart disease. Well, there are rules for substance use disorder, too. And mental health is a whole different ball game because it depends on what the diagnosis It depends on if you could actually deal with your mental health uh, through a change of behavior, what they call behavior modification, or you have to be on meds. If you don't take the meds, then that's where we see, you know, the uh, out-of-control mental health disorders. But, I, I mean, there's answers to everything, but what it comes down to is still an individual choice, and we cannot force those individual choices. You know, it, it, it has to come from, from the individual, and, and I think that's where we could give opportunity, and we could give funds, but that person has to make the choice uh, for their own wellness. That is Caroline Cruz. She is the general manager of the Health and Human Services branch in Warm Springs. Thank you for listening to Our People and Mother Earth on 91.9 FM KWSO.